Thank you for watching this message from The Bridge Church. Our vision here is to be a church that is for Christ, for community, and for the city. Today's message is from the sermon series, The King's Cause. It's a walk through the Gospel of Mark. And if this message has impacted you in any way, please email us at stories at thebridgeilm.com. Um, hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today. Um, man, I... Uh, just really excited to, to see you and to be here. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors. Um, if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Uh, so find your way there, Matthew and then uh, Mark. And we're in a series called The King's Cause. We're looking at Jesus, who is the king, and looking at his cause, his cause that changed the course of, of, of history. And so we're looking at that today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. Um, we'll put the verses on the screens for you. And then as well, we'll give you a Bible for free. If you don't own one, we'll give you a Bible for free on your way out. You can stop and grab one at the resource um, area. Well, um, how many of you just out of curiosity were here last Sunday? Can I see your hands raised, raised high? So a fair, a fair amount of you were here last Sunday. Um, it was an incredible day here. Um, we just uh, the passage where we, that we were in, uh, Jesus was just doing some amazing things. And so we just, after both worship gatherings, or actually during, at the end, during the uh, worship gatherings, just prayed over people. And literally dozens and dozens of people came forward for prayer, just for all sorts of different things. And I got to be a part of that. I got to pray for some people. It was amazing. Um, and it's really cool. One of the stories that I mentioned last week, because uh, we were talking about healings and all sorts of stuff like that. One of the stories that I mentioned last week was of um, a girl who had uh, gone to Africa on a mission trip for, for three months and came back and uh, she had developed a parasite while she was gone and none of the doctors here could figure it out. And so her community group just gathered together and prayed for her and prayed over her and anointed her with oil and just asked for God to heal her in that, that moment. And um, God healed her and she was the one that was reading scripture uh, today. She was the one uh, that was here. Which is, um, um, just, just really cool. Just, uh, and so uh, God is, he's doing some amazing things in your life and my life, and I'm uh, just excited to be a part of that. Um, as well, uh, before I jump in, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a monster uh, hurricane that is in the Caribbean right now. Uh, Matthew, it's 150 miles an hour winds, um, and it just turned north to head, um, to head right over Haiti. Um, and so within a day or so, if it doesn't turn, it, it's going to hit Haiti. And we, we uh, have a partnership with an organization that's there in Haiti. Took a mission trip, my wife and I and, and several of you, and uh, really love that, that country. It is um, defenseless whenever it comes to storms like this, way more than, than us. And if it hits at those winds and the rains, I mean, literally hundreds of people you know, will die most likely. And so uh, we have good friends there that, um, that are doing ministry in Port-au-Prince. And so I just want to pray briefly, and I want you to pray with me and just ask that God would uh, turn that storm and that he would protect, uh, protect those people. So let's pray. God, we uh, believe in this moment that you have the ability to do anything that you want to do. Uh, nobody is holding your hands. Nobody's got you in handcuffs. Nobody can keep you back from doing what you want to do. Uh, you created um, the universe, and so this storm, though it seems huge to us, it's just really, really small to you. And so we ask that you would turn. We ask that you would move it. We ask that in your power and in your name that you would turn it away from uh, a path of destruction, that you would move it away out of the path of Haiti and the countries that are surrounding there, God. 
and protect those people for Steve and for Manushka and for their family and for the other families that are there for the orphan kids. God, we ask a prayer of protection over them that you would uh, prevent them from any kind of harm um, or, or attack that would come upon them through this, God. We ask for your protection and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are looking at a passage today that I think is um, really, really fascinating. And what we're going to do today is we're going to see two aspects from two episodes of what Jesus is doing. The first thing that we're going to see is kind of a pattern, uh, a pattern of the way that he does ministry. And the second thing that we're going to see is the power that comes from the pattern that he does in his ministry. So we're essentially going to see kind of two episodes. One is going to be the pattern and one is going to be the power. Okay, y'all ready? All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I'm telling you, it's going to be pretty awesome. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is what it says. And rising very early in the morning. Wow. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed, verse 36. And Simon, which is Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, did a manhunt. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now, let me remind you of the context of what just happened previously before uh, this passage. In the previous evening, Jesus is at Peter's house in Capernaum, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever, if you remember that. And then once she is healed, the entire city comes to Peter's house, to Jesus' doorstep, bringing those who are sick, those who are in bondage to spirits. And Jesus spends the entire evening healing people with all sorts of sicknesses, all sorts of diseases, all sorts of spirits. Now, can you imagine the kind of exhaustion that you would feel if you were Jesus in that evening? That's a pretty busy um, evening. How many of you would want to sleep in the next morning? <laughs> Don't wake me up. I'm not turning on my alarm. I will be awake at noon. Do not wake me. That's, that's what I would do, you know? And, and some of you look at Jesus and like, man, he rose very early in the morning. Like, well, we do this all the time. Well, he was just Jesus, you know? He's like Superman. You know, he's got like special powers that I don't have. That's why I can't get up early like Jesus uh, got up. Well, from the scriptures, we know that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Uh, it's, it's a crazy idea. Don't think about it too long. It'll blow your mind. But Jesus, he is the son of God. He, he is God. He is divine. He was before any of this ever was. Jesus lives from eternity past. And, and Jesus, as the son of God, entered human history and took on humanity, took on human form, took on flesh, and for a season actually um, gave up certain rights and privileges that he had as God and took on humanity to live as we lived. And when we read scripture, we see that Jesus, he was a man who got hungry. How many of you are hungry this morning? You're ready for lunch. He, he, was, he was hungry. He was a man who got tired. He got so tired one time that in the middle of a storm, he slept in the bottom of a boat. You've got to be pretty tired to, to sleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a storm. He, he, after a long journey, he sits down and rests with a woman at the well. He cries with his friends over their grief and their loved one who has passed away. And we tend to think that he is Superman, and so he's, he's, some, he's got some invincible powers that I don't have. But Hebrews tells us that he, in every way like we did, walks through the trials and the temptations that we have, Hebrews chapter 4. That in every way he was tempted like we are. 
which means he struggles and he, has, uh, he gets tired, he, he gets hungry, he faces the same kinds of things that we faced. And not only was he fully man, he was fully God. He was fully God, which kind of makes me wonder, well, then why did you need to spend time with God if you are God, you know? That he, he retreats early in the morning and he goes to spend time with God the Father and he's God the Son. But the reason that he does that is because God is a relational God. That there's a relationship that exists between Jesus, between the Son, and between the Father. And for Jesus, it was absolutely crucial and critical that he spend time with his Father. That he walk with him, that he talk with him, that he just spend a little time with him. And Mark tells us that Jesus gets up very early. Now, for those of you who are college students, that does not mean 10 o'clock. Um, though for some of you, that is very early. It says that he gets up early while it is still dark. Some of you are like, that is just godless. How could anyone do that? He gets up while it is still dark. I mean, it's probably, I mean, it could be like 3 a.m. perhaps, or 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. I mean, it is really early. So the question I ask is, how did he do that without an alarm clock? (laughs) How does he he get up so early? Do we have any uh, morning people in the room? Any morning people in the room? Raise your hand high. I don't like you. Um, I don't have the ability to get up early and be all chipper like you are, you know, at 6 a.m. I am a night person, which means I am really really striking on all cylinders at about 11 o'clock at night, you know? But for my wife's sake, I go to bed uh, when she goes to bed, and I get up early, and I set an alarm clock. And if it was not for an alarm clock, I would not be here right now, (laughs) literally. And I have to set two alarms, and they cannot be within my reach. They have to be away from me because I will turn them off unconsciously, I assure you. I promise. And so I set them, and I set double. I heard of an alarm clock on Shark Tank recently that actually the only way that you can get it to go off, it's on the floor. It's kind of a floor mat. And the only way to get it off is if you stand on it with two feet and your weight turns it off. Now, that's just a bad idea. Who, cre- who would ever create such an awful thing like that? Well, Jesus, he gets up early. The only way that I get up early without an alarm clock is if I'm going fishing because I love to fish. That's the only way. So here's yeah, I did this past week. I caught a nice flounder, about a five or six pound flounder, and I don't have to set an alarm to go do that. You know, I just I just get up because I'm excited. I, I'm intentional. I prepare for a couple hours the night before to get my gear ready to go because I love to fish. And I guess Jesus, I assume that he was excited and intentional about spending some time with his father, even after a long evening of work and, and ministry and prayer and and being with people, and and praying over people. And he gets up really early, and Mark tells us that he goes to a desolate place. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting. This word desolate, it's actually the same Greek word that Mark's used several times already that he translates, or that we translate wilderness. It's the same word. So desolate, it's the same word as wilderness. And in Mark's gospel, what we see is that Jesus in some way, shape, or form has what you could call a wilderness theology. Or there is a wilderness pattern to his life. There's a wilderness theme that Jesus, he goes to the desolate place. And the reason why is because for Jesus, the desolate place for him was a supernatural place. It was a unique place. Uh, Things happened there that didn't happen other places. It was a special place that Jesus would go, unlike any other place to connect with the Father. And Jesus, he's incredibly bombarded 
and busy in life. He's got all sorts of things that, that are going on. He's busy. He's in high demand. And what he does here is it's hard for him sometimes to get time alone with the Father. So he intentionally makes himself accessible to the Father. Like he intentionally carves out time to spend with the Father. Here's the first thing that I think that this teaches us about a desolate place. Here's it. A desolate place isn't primarily about you gaining access to God, but God gaining access to you. See, God is always accessible. He's always present. He is always there. There's never a moment or time or place where you cannot reach him. And the issue isn't the accessibility of God, but the accessibility of you. So just out of curiosity... How often do you make yourself accessible to God? Like if God wanted to tell you something, is there ever a time that you actually, where he could actually speak to you where you're not doing something else? I think he could do that at any time, but it's when we withdraw and when we find ourselves in a desolate place that God speaks and leads and guides. See, one of the biggest issues that I feel in my life one of the biggest issues in your life, one of the biggest issues in our culture is that we are unbelievably busy people. Anybody just out of curiosity busy? Anybody? I mean, we, I talked to a college student today, and he's like, yeah, I'm really busy too. I'm like, you're a college student. I'm like, how, how are you busy? But class, studying, events, uh, extracurricular activities in the evening, sports, I mean, you, you, you just name it. I mean, even, even college students are incredibly busy. And some of you, you just never stop. You never stop. You work a full-time job, and then you even work a little bit extra on the side. You have an activity or a meeting or an event to go to every night of the week, and you got to take your kids to, to practice and to the game, and, and this night has something, and the next night has something, and before you know it, you've gone 15 days, and you don't even have an evening to yourself. You, ever, you haven't even had a, a moment uh, to be b by yourself. We're incredibly busy, and Jesus... Though he was busy as well, he was intentional with his time, carves out time to just spend some time with the Father so that the, the Father could speak to him, so that he could be with the Father. He found he had a desolate place. He had a place just for him and the Father. Now, there are a few, there are three things specifically that I would like to say are evident, are characteristics of Jesus' desolate place, and maybe this could be true of your life as well. Here's the first one. A desolate place is a place of silence. A desolate place, it's a place of silence. Just sit here for a minute in silence. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's kind of awkward. Like, when was the last time that you actually had a, a, a time, a, a season, a, a moment of silence? And, and Jesus, he gets away because there's silence. The kids aren't screaming. Phone isn't ringing. He's out with Jesus. The only thing that he hears, I assume, is nature. It's a quiet place. Lamentations 3.26, it tells us this. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There's something incredibly spiritual, deeply emotional about having quietness before God. So just out of curiosity, where's a place that you could go oh, that would be silent? 
Where's a place that you could go that isn't very loud, that the only noises that you hear are perhaps nature around you? Where is a place that you could go where only you and God are talking? Where place that, where's a place that you could go that the, the kids aren't yelling, where the phone doesn't ring? Now, we have um, an addiction in our culture, uh, among others, and that is an addiction to our phone. How many of you, just out of curiosity, your phone is within one foot uh, of you right now? It is close to you, right? Every, 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 single, every single one of us. I mean, your phone is like connected to your body. Some of you, your phone died and you thought you were going to die. What do I do? I don't know what I'm going to do. What if she tries to text me? What if she tries to, to reach me? I don't know what I, I, I can't check the weather. I can't check Facebook, you know, because I check Facebook 45, every 45 seconds. Like, what am, what am I going to do? Like, people literally have separation anxiety if, they, if they're separated from their phone. Turn it off. Yeah, I mean, like, just turn it off. Like, maybe a good practice on Sunday is just to leave it in your car and just come in here and to be able to hear from God and to be able to, to worship. I mean, I've got, I've got it in my pocket, unfortunately. I mean, it's, it, it's on do not disturb, so if you call me, it won't ring. Um, but it's just, it's just always there. I know some of you moms, you're freaking out. You're like, I cannot do that because if I'm separated from my kids, something happens, an emergency, I'm with you. I totally understand that. But why not turn it off when you're with your kids for an hour or so? Why not just, why just not turn it, just be silent. Maybe that means you need to watch the kids for your wife. Any women, in the, any wife, uh, moms in the room want to amen that one? I mean, watch, watch the kids so that your wife can just have a few minutes of silence by ourselves. By herself, rather. Um, Jesus, he just, he is a desolate place. And when Jesus is in his desolate place, um, it's a place of, of silence. This is why I think like um, over the last 10 years or so, last decade or so, yoga has just exploded in, uh, in our culture. And there's all sorts of different kinds and different faiths and Christian yoga and non-Christian yoga, all, all this. You know why yoga is so uh, popular? It's because you go to a place and you turn, you turn your phone off or you leave it in the car and you just sit. You sit and you just are there. You're, you're present and you can think. It's, it's, there's no distractions. You're, you're just there. And, and it's taken off. And we see that Jesus here, he just, he just has to, every now and then, just have a little silence to himself. Just has to have a little silence. Here's the second thing that we see. A desolate place is not only a place of silence, it's a place of solitude. It's a place of solitude. That means when Jesus went out to the wilderness... He was alone. He didn't take Peter. He didn't take James. He didn't take anybody with him. He didn't take a small group with him. He, he just is, is alone. His community group wasn't, wasn't there. He just got away and had solitude. He was just trying to be still for God. It's a famous passage, Psalm 46, 8. It says this, be still and know that I am God. Just be still. Be still and know that I am God. Where is a place that you could go that you would be all by yourself? A place where you could just think. A place where there is no one to talk to except for God. A place of just you and your thoughts. I actually read a few studies uh, this week that are fascinating. Uh, some of these um, big schools did some studies about uh, people. One in particular that I read, they took 100 people and they tested them all. And so what they did is they put them into a room all by themselves it was a normal room. They, they couldn't have any devices with them. The TV wasn't on. They're just in a room. They're just sitting. It's, it's by themselves. Literally, and for 15 minutes, they're just going to sit by themselves and be able to think and, and be on their own. And so what they did 
um, to see if they, would, uh, if they could handle the silence in their thoughts, they put an electrical shock machine beside them and attached the machine to their skin, which if they pressed the button, a painful shock would shock them uh, so that they could, in the middle of what they were doing, they could experience it. I don't know why you would do that. So the button is there. The vast majority of people shock themselves within 15 minutes. Because they, they just can't handle, they just can't handle like being on their own, just them and their thoughts, just, just, just thinking. You know, it's, it's actually a beautiful thing to be able to just think. It's a beautiful thing to be able to just be with God, to be in a place of solitude where, where nobody else is there, and just to be able to think for a, a minute. How many of you, um, there's a place, and I'm going to see if you can figure it out, there's a place that I assure most of you experience on a regular basis that is a place where no one else is there present, and it's a place where you have your best thoughts and your best ideas. It's the shower. It's the shower. Do you know why you have some of your best thoughts and ideas there? Because you're alone. You can't talk on the phone. You know, while you're, in the, you're alone. I mean, hopefully you're alone. Most of you are, you know, are alone. Unless, unless you're married, then hey, go for it. You know, go for it. Amen. Big fan of that. Some of, you are, some of you are new, some of you are new and you're like, I like this church. This is like, this is like the best church. Honey, we need to obey the pastor and what he, what he said. I actually read uh, an article recently. Um, some of you may have uh, heard or seen, I'm sure you have, uh, Bo's Coffee Shop, which is in Wilmington. It's now Biddy and Bo's. Uh, but it's now a nationally recognized coffee shop. The owners that started it are, are Christian. It's a Christian family following Jesus, love Jesus. And uh, they started this uh, coffee shop that employs uh, people with, with Down syndrome or, or other kinds of things to, to work there, to employ them. They themselves, the owners, I believe, have, have two uh, children that, that have that. And um, they've been in all sorts of news um, sites and news uh, platforms and things. People are interviewing them all over the, the country. It's amazing. And I read an article about how the company started. Do you know the way the company started? The owner was thinking about what they should do in the shower and had the idea that they should start that company. So that's just, I mean, it's just a place of, of being alone. It's when you have your best thoughts. It's when God speaks to you. It's when God reveals himself to you. It's when God would want to tell you something and reveal something to you. And Jesus, his, his desolate place, it was a place of solitude. Now, here's the third one. Not just silence and solitude, but here's the third one. This is, I think, my favorite. A desolate place is a place of secrecy. It's a place of secrecy. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you need to be a ninja for Jesus, um, but Jesus' place, Jesus' desolate place, um, he, he had to be found. They had to like, do a manhunt for him. They, like, Peter's like, where did Jesus go? He got his coffee, and he is out of this place. Like, let's go find him, and they start looking for him, and they go out into the wilderness. This is a desert. This is like they're walking around literally trying to find him. He doesn't tell anybody where he goes, and they end up finding him, which means that he didn't post it on Instagram where he was going, you know? He didn't Snapchat it, you know? He was just getting alone all by himself. Jesus tells us this in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, But when you pray, go into your room, some translations translate that closet, and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus says sometimes you just need to be in secret. Sometimes you just need to be alone. Um, sometimes you just need to be in your secret place. Here's, here's how I'll say it. 
Sometimes you need to be in a place where only God can find you. Sometimes you need to be in a place where only God can find you, where it's only him. Now, if you are, some of you are freaking out. If you are married, please tell your spouse where you, where you go. Like, I, this is not like a pass for three days to go hiking in the mountains. I'm not telling you to do that. But, but it's, sometimes you just need to be a place where nobody else knows where you are. It's just you. I, I, I reached out to some of our um, leaders this week, and I asked them, what, what are some places in, in your life that are like this? Uh, one guy, he, uh, he has a Jeep, four-wheel drive, and so he goes out onto the north end of Carolina Beach and early, early in the morning, about once a week, and he just drives out to, to the point uh, before the sun rises and just sits there and has some time on, on his own just to spend time with God. Maybe it's the beach. Maybe you could drive to the south end of Wrightsville and leave your phone in the car and turn it off or, or whatever and just walk out onto the beach and spend some time with God. Another, another person said that, uh, that they have a neighbor um, that lives on the intercoastal waterway that has a private dock that they let them use. It's like a pretty good perk, you know? <laughs> and so without any news or telling anybody, sometimes they just walk out onto the dock and sit on the dock and just have some time alone just to think and, and pray and, and be there. Uh, another person uh, said that... Uh, she goes into her closet. I hope it's a walk-in closet, but literally um, goes into her closet and shuts the door and, and, and prays. And she, she's a mom. She has a few kids. And early in the morning, that's, that's where she, she, she goes to just be alone, to be with God and to, to, to pray. One person put, um, gets up early in the morning in the living room. One person put a commute, um, which I don't know how long your commute could be in Wilmington, you know. Uh, mine's like 45 seconds. But uh, I guess some of you may cross the river. You may have a commute for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Maybe it's a place where you could be alone with God. One person said prayer walking, uh, trails in the woods and different things around Wilmington. Um, which is just, where, is, where is your place? Where is your desolate place? If God had something that he wanted to tell you tomorrow, would he be able to tell you? Not that he's handicapped, but would you have any free space? Would you be accessible to God in such a way where he could speak to you for whatever you're going through? Jesus, he had his pattern. The pattern of his ministry was to get away to a desolate place to spend time with the Father. Now look at me in verse 39. That's his pattern, and this is his power, which I think oftentimes flows out of the pattern of his ministry. Look at me in verse 39. It says this. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out Demons, verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, talking to Jesus, you can make me clean. So Jesus, he, he moves on from Capernaum, and he travels throughout the region of Galilee, and he's preaching his message that the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's doing all sorts of different kinds of miracles and signs and casting out demons and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then Jesus tells us a certain story about a leper who meets Jesus. Now, there are tens of thousands of stories that Jesus does throughout his ministry. John tells us that if we wrote them all down, a book wouldn't even be able to contain it. All the things that Jesus does in his life. And not all of them obviously make it onto paper, but certain moments and certain stories and certain episodes in Jesus' life make it onto paper because of their significance. And I think this story right here is incredibly significant for what it, what it does. And Mark tells us that Jesus, as he's doing ministry, a leper approaches him. And a leper comes kneels down at the feet of Jesus in desperation, imploring and begging that Jesus would make him clean. Now, 
Most of us are not familiar with what leprosy is. But in the ancient Near East, uh, no disease was feared more than leprosy. This wasn't just like a bad skin rash. This wasn't just like a case of poison ivy. There's not even a comparison. It was a skin disease, but it was incredibly a debilitating disease. If you had the disease, then nodules would form on your body. Swellings would begin to show up all over your body on your skin, particularly on your face and on your mouth and on your nose and on your forehead. And the bumps and the swellings would, would then ooze and ulcerate and would pus and literally leak off your face. And you would begin to look like a monster. And then you would uh, begin to shrivel up and become disfigured. And eventually your fingers and your toes would start to fall off. And then after about a decade or so of that, you would die of the disease. It was just a horrible uh, disease physically that you would never wish upon anyone. However, the, the, the worst part of the disease was not the physical nature of the disease. The worst part was the social nature. You see, if you, were, if you contracted leprosy, you would be designated in society as unclean. And there were laws about where you were allowed to travel, how far you had to stay away from people. You weren't allowed to live in the city. Often you had to live in a leper camp with other lepers. And you would ultimately become a social outcast you would just be cut off from society. It was an incredibly uh, embarrassing way uh, of life. And if you would happen to get close to people in the city, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know that you had leprosy and so that they could steer around you. you, you even you weren't allowed to enter into temple worship with the rest of society. Occasionally, you were allowed to enter the synagogue if the leader was lenient, but you weren't able to come into contact with others in the synagogue. If there were other people present, then you were required to sit behind a black curtain so that no one else could see you. And it was an incredibly contagious disease, so you would avoid a leper at all cost. And if you actually touched a leper by accident, by law, you were ceremonially considered unclean. And you had to go through a lengthy process of isolation to make sure that you didn't contract the disease. There's actually in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, several chapters devoted just to leprosy. And this leper, as you can imagine, he's incredibly desperate for Jesus to heal him. Unbelievably desperate. Now look at verse 41. It says this. And moved with pity, this is Jesus, he stretched out his hand and touched him. He touches the man and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. and He was made unclean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof uh, to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. He's not a good listener. And, and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places where uh, people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus tells him, don't talk about it. Uh, this is not about my fame. This is not about my promotion. This is just my pity on you. Please don't tell anybody about it. But the guy's so excited, he just can't contain himself. And he tells uh, everyone. This is, this is incredible. Jesus touches the leper. He, he breaks the cultural norm. He comes into contact with him. Can you imagine the drama if you're there? 
Can you imagine seeing this if you're a bystander? Jesus touches him. It's crazy, and immediately his skin is transformed from looking like a monster to looking like he's someone who just stepped out of the spa. And if you stop and think about it, Jesus doesn't need to touch the leper to heal him, does he? He didn't have to touch the leper. There are numerous examples of Jesus healing people just by speaking the word, just by saying it. He actually heals people that are often a long distance away that he's not even in contact with. But in this situation, the least likely situation where you would touch someone to heal them, Jesus touches him. And as soon as he touches him, the man is healed. Here's what I think this teaches us about Jesus. Number one, no one is too far for Jesus' touch. No one is too far for Jesus' touch. This guy, um, he's an outcast. He's an outsider. Everyone walks away from him. No one gets close to him. No one wants anything to do with him. But not Jesus. He's not too far for Jesus' touch. How many of you here today, just out of curiosity, you kind of feel like you're too far, too far gone for God? You think about what you did last night, and you kind of feel like God maybe doesn't want anything to do with you. Maybe this week, maybe this past year, maybe something that happened to you years ago, and you feel like God wants to keep arm lengths, arm's length at you, wants to keep separated from you, that he doesn't want anything to do with you because of what you've done or because of what has happened to you, but I'll tell you today, you are not too far for God. No one is too far for God. There isn't a situation, there isn't a circumstance, there isn't an event that could happen in your life where Jesus would withdraw from you rather than pursue you. He comes to you. He comes to you. If you feel like you're at the bottom, Jesus comes to you. If you feel like you're an outsider, Jesus comes to you. If you feel like you've been outcast maybe by your family or your friends or by the people around you, Jesus still loves you. and He'll come and he'll touch you. He'll touch you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. No one is too far for Jesus' touch. Here's what else I think this teaches us. Jesus not only heals physically, but also spiritually and socially. Jesus not only heals physically, but also spiritually and socially. Jesus touched the leper because he was trying to heal more than just his physical wounds. Jesus touches him because he's trying to heal his spiritual wounds. Because he's trying to heal his social wounds. He's an outcast. He's a nobody. No one in his culture wants anything to do with him. Can you imagine, like maybe for years, never having anyone shake your hand? Can you imagine for years, possibly no one giving you a hug? And then the man feels Jesus' hands. He feels Jesus' touch after perhaps years. And Jesus touches him not only because he cares about his physical condition, but he cares about his social condition. Because he cares about his emotional condition. And Jesus touches him not just because his body needs it, but because his soul needs it. How many of you are here today and you're carrying around wounds that aren't physical? You're carrying around wounds that are emotional. You're carrying around wounds that are uh, spiritual. You're carrying around wounds of something that's happened to you, that you're scarred, that you're broken, that you have wounds. Jesus can heal that too. Jesus can make you new. Jesus, in a touch of his hand, can heal you of that and make you new. And you carry around those wounds, but in a touch, Jesus can heal any area of 
your life. And here's the, here's the other question that I think we have to ask. Who are the metaphorical lepers in Wilmington that we don't like to touch? Who are the people that you don't like to touch? Aren't like you, don't look like you, don't have the same skin color as you, maybe don't vote like you, maybe live in a certain area of town, maybe because of a certain criminal record, maybe because of the way that they look, the way that they smell, the way that they dress, or an outcast. Uh, Jesus, he didn't care what anybody smelled like. Um, Some of you may not smell physically, but you smell in other ways, you know. I do. I'm a guy that I can't believe that Jesus would want to be in contact with me. And Jesus, he, he goes, he touches him. That means the homeless that are in our city, you kind of roll up your window whenever you pull up beside them. Uh, you kind of walk on the opposite side of the street when you're downtown going to grab dinner because you don't want to be close to them. Uh, maybe, it, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's a prostitute. Maybe it's somebody that lives in a certain neighborhood or a certain project and you just won't get anywhere close to them because you don't want to touch them. Will we be a church and a people who will reach out and embrace people and touch them, or will we be a church that avoids people and doesn't touch them? I'm going to be a part of a church that touches people that need it, that reaches out to people who need it. One of the coolest stories of the past two years since I've been here in Wilmington, one day, I remember this very vividly, I was downtown, I was at the Pilot House, one of my favorite restaurants, they have the best shrimp and grits, and I remember being at the pilot house. It was an afternoon, and occasionally the bartender will let me sit outside and just be on my own, work there. You've got the river. It's beautiful. I'm on my own. No one's disturbing me. I'm able to get a lot of work done, and I'm there. And this guy who's obviously kind of distraught, obviously homeless or something, he walks up, and he says, hey, can you help me with uh, some food or something like that? And I'm thinking, uh, hey, I'm doing some pretty important things for God right now. Uh, I'm in the middle of work mode, you know, I mean, I am getting a lot done right now for Jesus. So if you could just keep your uh, distance away from me and the Holy Spirit's like, what would Jesus do? You know, would Jesus, would he, would he ignore the guy and would he just, uh, try to give him a quick answer to, so I said, Hey, why don't you just come up here? And so he, he came up and his name is Charles. He sat at the, the, the table with me and I said, Hey, here's the menu. Just order whatever you want. I think he ordered a sandwich or something like that. Um, and we just sat there for about 45 minutes and, and, and talked, and then he, he, went, he went on his way. Well, here's the thing. If, if because we, we live near this area, we see a lot of the same people over and over again. And so we see him, like, a lot downtown. And he sings really loudly and really obnoxiously on the street corner, <laughs> um, asking for people to, to give him money. And, uh, so, and when I see him, I just walk up to him, and I just shake his hand. I'm like, hey, Charles, how you doing, man? What's going on? What you been up to? What's, what's happening? And we just have a conversation. I mean, I don't always give him money or give him anything. I just touch him, you know, shake his hand, you know, and I haven't contracted a disease from that, you know, just touching, touching him, Reach, where, wherever he's at, whatever he's going through, he's got a long history, long uh, past and pain and stuff that he's going through, and I just touch him because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't bypass the people that were untouchable. He, he went and he, he touched them, and we have to be a church that will Reach out and touch people regardless of where they are and what they look like, what they smell like. And then here's, here's the last thing that I'll, I'll say. I'll close with this. Here's what I find really interesting about Jesus touching the leper. At the moment that Jesus touches the leper, Jesus himself becomes ritually and ceremonially unclean. 
Because he came into contact with him, he would therefore be deemed as unclean and would have to go through the long processes of isolation in order for the priest to declare him as unclean. The leper's disease would be gone, but Jesus would now be considered unclean. What's he doing here? What's Jesus doing? He's demonstrating that the way that you become clean is by him becoming unclean. I'll say it this way. The way that Jesus makes you clean is by becoming unclean for you. How does Jesus forgive you of your sin? He takes it on himself. How does Jesus forgive you of your unholiness? He takes on your unholiness. How does he forgive you of all your immorality? He takes on your immorality. And the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live, a life of perfection. But though he died the death that you were condemned to die, that he took your sin, he took your shame, he took your past, he took your pain, he took it on to him and went to a cross that had your name on it. And then he conquered the grave that you couldn't conquer to set you free of that forever. And that's the good news of the gospel. How do you, how do you experience that? Maybe you're a person that has never experienced anything like that before. Feeling that, experiencing the freedom that Jesus brings you, your sin, of your shame, of your past. What did the leper do? The leper comes to Jesus. And he falls down on his knees. And he says, you can heal me. Please heal me. That's the way that you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian walking up to Jesus. Well, Jesus, I've been a member of a Baptist church for 37 years. And my grandma, she's a charter member of this church. And you're lucky to have me here. That's not how you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by being baptized as an infant or an adult. You don't become a Christian by being uh, on church membership, by checking a box, by doing something impressive for the pastor, uh, giving away money. That's not how you become a Christian. The only way that you become a Christian is you kneel before Jesus' feet and you say, heal me. You say, save me. That's the only way. It's the only way, and when you're ready to do that, when you come to the place where you know that you need him, all you do is you fall at his knees, you fall on your knees at his feet, and you say, heal me. You say, Jesus, touch me. Just curious if there's anybody in the room today that needs the touch of Jesus. Need the touch of Jesus the way that you do that. You just fall down before him and ask him to touch you, and he will do that, and he will make you new. He will change you unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. He will make you new. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus and what he does and the way that we see him as pattern for ministry and his power and the way that he lives, God. Thank you that nobody in the room is too far for Jesus' touch. Thank you that there's nobody in our city that is outside of Jesus' touch. We thank you for touching us, Jesus. So God, we celebrate and thank you and praise you and say all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.